Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So this is kind of like the text that we're going to be looking at today in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we first dove off into Jesus' plan for the church in Acts was that we would be witnesses. And as Jesus is going into the air, all the people watching him going into the air could think was, when are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? As he's going up, he's like, that's not for you to know, but my father who set these things into motion. But I want you to be witnesses that the church is looking up and God's like, I need you to keep looking out. Because the mission of the church is not so much to, we're always anticipating is coming, but we're not putting a date on it. Because anybody puts a date on it, what happens? <laughs> I think he moves it every time someone gets a date. He's like, oh, crud, they got it. Okay, let's move it on. No, I don't, really think, I don't think that's happening. But I think he wants us to be committed to the mission. Because we are to occupy here until he comes. And to occupy means that we are on mission and we are focused and that we are prepared so that when he comes, we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How cool is that going to be to hear King Jesus say that over your life? You talk about an affirmation, man, it's amazing. But we got to be ready, right? And the devil has all these distractions and things that he wants to get us off focus. And, you know, he don't have any new plays, but he's had a lot of history with humanity, and he knows what trips humanity up. And so once he finds your trigger that stumbles you up, every time y'all live this, something's going good, everything's going right, then uh-oh, who pops up? <laughs> right? Yes. And then that lie, oh, this time it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. This time it's going to And so the devil catches us in these patterns, and he catches us in these things. And a lot of times what the devil will use sometimes is just flat-out discouragement. It's hard to be faithful when you're discouraged. Or disappointment. Like he, the devil ain't got to get you to fall in gross sin. He can just plant a little seed of bitterness and resentment. And then before you know it, you're done with everything altogether. Or the Lord might be dealing with your character in a way. I, I dealt with this a lot coming up. And I just, you guys are my therapists. <laughs> collectively <laughs> and I just feel that comfortable with y'all but you know I dealt with jealousy for a long time oh my gosh have you ever did like something really cool for the Lord but nobody ever saw it or noticed and it was like every time you did it nobody ever noticed but then old boy over here who don't hit a lick does one little thing and everybody saw it in that moment, and then he gets celebrated in front of you, and you're like, start manifesting like. <laughs> 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 
Because that's demonic too. And matter of fact, that's probably more demonic. It divides. Divides Jesus' body. And so you know how the Lord got me over that lesson? He kept promoting people in front of me. Like the only way out of this cycle is for you to be okay when I bless somebody else when you feel like you deserve the blessing. And that was the next step for me. That's how I broke the back of that devil is the Lord said, okay, now you're able to embrace that and you're okay with being put on a shelf and being hidden for a time. Now I want you to celebrate them when it happens. Oh, Lord, I don't want to bless them. I'm better than them. I don't want to bless them, Lord. But you see, you got to hear yourself say those things so that you know how to repent. Because you ain't better than nobody else. And um, so then you step into that next level of blessing them. And then you keep doing it until you like doing it. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Your feelings are followers. Your feelings are not leaders. Feelings are bad leaders but they're good followers. So if you'll go on and do the thing that you should do, your feelings will catch up. Yeah, your feelings will catch up. And so it's just a practical little thing. If you're having an issue in your life, don't run from it, because there's what we like to do. We like to go, well, I'm just not gonna put myself in that situation. When the Lord's like, No, you face that devil head on and learn how to love right in that situation. If you're really going to get serious about being like Jesus. So that's what I had to learn to do is lean into those things that drove me crazy or I didn't understand until I got the wherewithal to begin to actually enjoy it. Now... I get more joy celebrating other people than I ever do getting my own things happening. So the Lord will take you in a season and he'll hide you and he'll plant you in the soil somewhere and it's like, God, you're killing me. And he's like, no, I'm planting you. (laughs) And the only way you're gonna sprout is if you learn to die. God, you're burying me. No, anything I put in the ground pops back up. I heard a a joke about this. A guy's uh, wife had passed, and she wanted to be buried in Israel. And uh, so he called over there and asked how much it would be. And uh, the guy told him, and he said, uh, you know what? I don't think I can do it. He's like, well, why not? Is it too much? No, it's not too much. He's like, but I heard of a man 2,000 years ago that got buried in Israel. And I can't take that chance. (laughs) 
Terrible. <laughs> terrible. And look how loud y'all laughed. I mean, y'all are terrible. It's just how it is. So the Lord will put you in these seasons where he'll hide you and get you to deal with every issue that comes up in that level of hiding. Because when you're a starter and you know you're a starter, it's hard to cheer from the bench. And man, have I rode the pine, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the Lord would do these crazy things. He would just, uh, he would actually take opportunities from me that were supposed to be afforded to me to see how, if I would be okay with him using someone else. And so it was from that place of being on the bench that you learn to cheer for the team. And it's from the place on the bench that you learn it would be better to win than it would be to play. So you have to ask yourself, would you rather win or would you rather play? And the Lord would wake me up in the night and he would give me sermons. Like, God, I ain't got no word to preach this. Get up. Put it on paper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, don't you know what time it is? No, I'm beyond time. I really don't keep up with that, but get up. <laughs> and so I'd write these sermons and craft out, and then I'd put them in a little folder. And <laughs> I still got the folder full of sermons I've never <laughs> preached. But what he was doing with me was saying, will you be available and be obedient even if you don't have the opportunity? So that the opportunity wouldn't become my God, I would be moved by his voice and not by the opportunity. Because some of us worship the opportunity more than we do our God. And this is Abraham putting Isaac on the altar is that would you operate in obedience above the promise that I spoke to you? In other words, would you even be rid of the promise if it means you get me? See, because some of us are promise-driven, but the Lord wants you to be Holy Spirit-led. Because anything that's driving you is not of God. The Lord leads. He doesn't drive. He's a shepherd, not a yee-haw. Yeah, he's a shepherd. And he wants to lead with his voice. He wants to talk and have those conversations. And so every moment of disappointment and discouragement is just preparing you to be shaped for the things that he has planned for you. And I'd hate, I just got to be honest with you, like some of the times I went through, I never want to go through them again. But if I could do it over, I wouldn't change a thing. Because as painful as the process was, it produced the fruit that I couldn't have experienced otherwise. 
So you'll know when you're kind of edging into this place when you're like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to go there. I don't think we're ready for that yet, but no, I'm not, Tim. <laughs> no peer pressure. Come on now. No, no. No, it's, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a uh, provocative statement. It's just that some, I don't think everybody's got ears to hear it yet, and I don't want someone to misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so here's what's going on here is that we're coming into a text where they're having to replace an apostle. Now, maybe you know the apostles are important people. These are sent ones of God who are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. <laughs> that they had to have a relationship with God where the text will show us soon where they were, the, the, the Greek idiom is going in and going out, which meant they could come and go with Jesus as they pleased. It's kind of like at your house. Y'all know how your kids do? Where they just like know where the key is. They leave the key in the door, even though they pulled it out of the place that you've hit it in front of your door, and they leave it in, leave the thing that the key was in open, and then the door's open, and the air's going, and then they got the fridge door open. It's like they didn't buy the house, but it's theirs somehow, more than it's yours. It was a coming in and a going out is that they could raid Jesus' fridge and Jesus wouldn't be like, who are you? It's that there was this closeness that these guys had. Now, raise your hand if you think the apostles are important. All right? Now, raise your hand if you can name them all. What? You just told me that these guys were important and that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, that they're the foundation that we are building our church on. And you can't name them. Now ask me if I can. No, I can't either. <laughs> but that's precisely my point. The important things of God, we don't even have to know the names of them sometimes. That God will get the work done whether your name gets out or not. And that's a death we must die. There's an old saint that said it this way. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Where nobody has to live under the shadow of your legend that probably wasn't even true. That doesn't preach good because we're all about legacy now, you know? It's like legacy, you know, God appointed you to get out of the way for a time. <laughs> so that your folklore wouldn't grow to something that's that we're the burden of the shadow of when we're all just people. Filled with a supernatural power, but earthen vessels, dirt. Dirt balls, <laughs> but filled with his glory, praise God. If I handed you dirt and glory, which one would you choose? Of course you would choose glory. 
That's why God does it in an earthen vessel. We're so caught up in following vessels when it's the glory that's in them. And the glory that's in them, God put that there. They didn't put that there. And it's like the Lord is trying to get us to this place of death to self. And, and I'm, just, I'm just almost embarrassed of the way I've fought sometimes. Of self-promoting things and just my own just self. And it's like, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> that God, it's about promoting you. It's about you. And we can take that to an extreme to where we're, you know, think it's holy to talk how bad we are. That's not what I'm getting at. We're made in God's image. We're, we're the chief of creation. But what I am saying is that it's really all about Jesus, man. It just really is all about him. And when we have churches that are all about him, guess what? People start showing up wanting other things other than Jesus. And then we complain. Well, look at the mess the church is in. Well, yeah, we showed them how to celebrate everything but Jesus. I better move on. So why 12? Well, it's a symbolic number of government, but it's also a symbolic number of when Israel was first instituted, obviously through Abraham, but then Abraham had Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the chosen one, and that became Israel. And in Israel, we had 12 sons. But that was the start of Israel. And those 12 sons became 12 tribes. And so this number 12 is synonymous with the nation of Israel. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's actually redeeming the story of Israel. That as a picture of Jacob that wrestled with God and had a limp, that there was this wrestling that Jesus endured, and it was through a wound that he received the blessing. And through that blessing, he was creating a new nation of people, a new Israel. Yeah. So Jesus is retracing the steps. So when he goes into the Jordan River to be baptized and God speaks over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is a take on Exodus chapter four, verse 22, where Pharaoh said, Israel is my, tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. So Jesus is, parting waters, having his own baptism Red Sea experience, and then hearing the pleasure of the Father. And the voice that's being spoken says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's recounting this firstborn promise that was over Israel. And he's basically saying, I'm retracing Israel's steps and I'm redeeming them. So that Jesus isn't just the firstborn, 
John tells us that Jesus is the only begotten son. So this is hearkening in the language of Abraham when God says, Abraham, offer me your son, your only son. Now, was that Abraham's only son? But it was his only begotten son. So Jesus has taken this precious place of sonship. So the first thing he does after he passes through the water, goes into the wilderness for 40 days. So remember, you got to think about what happened. The Israelites went into the wilderness. We might never get into our text. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But we're rolling. So Israel goes into spying the land. How many days did the spies spy the land before they entered? How many, how many days did the spies spy out the land before they brought back a report? No, no, no. 40 days. So for every day that they were there, God gives them a year to go around the mountain and travel the wilderness. So when Jesus passes through the waters in his baptism, he goes into the wilderness for? So because of the children of Israel couldn't be obedient for 40 days, they get 40 years. Jesus is obedient for 40 days and redeems the 40 years. He's retracing Israel's steps and creating a new Israel. Then he grabs 12 disciples, our 12 sons. And from these sons, the promise to Abraham was going to be an offspring that nobody could even count. And now, 2023, we're at 2 billion from 12 sons that Jesus picked. So when Judas, they lost Judas, they said, we got to fill the spot for the 12. Yeah. Uh, We've got to fill this 12th spot. Because the testimony to the principalities and powers and to the world has got to be there's something about the plan of God that isn't going to be stopped when one falls off. So Jesus has ascended into heaven and they have to figure out what that's going to look look like. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, We'll start in verse 12. Then they returned from Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended. And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James were there. And all these continued together in prayer with one mind. Now notice this next statement. Together with the women. 
along with Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a gathering of about 120 people, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Judas, who became the God for those who arrested Jesus. Now notice this statement. It's all throughout scripture. Um, Peter says it. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. In other words, Jewish thought was that History was ruled by the decrees of God, and God was sovereign over the times and the seasons, and God was, everything was going, somehow God was going to make everything go according to plan. The Greek view had a view of, of fate, that fate was the thing that moved the story on. The Jewish mindset saw that God would reveal it to prophets and that prophets would reveal it to the people and then God would then honor that promise as he saw fit in the appropriate time. So that we would move beyond fate and we would make it personal. That makes sense? You can't pray to fate. You just have to accept it. You can't change fate. But when you make it personal... Suddenly, your prayer is moving into a realm that goes beyond the thoughts and the wisdom of the world, and now we're moving into a place to where we can actually change things. That's why James says, which is largely a book of Jewish wisdom, James says it this way, he calls God the father of lights or the father of the stars. To get people to go beyond their zodiac sign... (laughs) Oh, come on now. Don't y'all get holy on me in here. <laughs> to go beyond the zodiac sign and say, yeah, you know who's actually in charge of that? Yeah, the father of the lights, the one that put them there. And so Peter is caught up in the history and the present, but he's seeing who is the active agent in this storytelling thing that they're caught up in, and it's God. And I want to submit to you, when you understand that you are caught up in God's story of redemption of the world, it begins to change the way you see things. It takes a man like Peter, who is denying Christ in front of little girls into a man who is standing in front of 3,000 people that days earlier pinned his Savior onto a cross and looks at that crowd and says, this Christ whom you crucified has risen from the dead and is now ready to save you. Be baptized and repent. That's a turnaround. That's why the old timers said that preachers love chicken. We're getting back on that rooster that told on us. (laughs) Chicken Express, man. Get it to me fast. I'm going to eat that sucker ratting out on me. Yeah. (laughs) 
He stands up with boldness knowing that the scripture had to be fulfilled, foretold through David concerning Judas, who became the guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted as one of us and received a share in this ministry. Verse 18, now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his unjust deed. And it gets kind of gruesome here, but you guys are adults. And fallen headfirst, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. This became known to all who lived in Jerusalem so that in their own language they called that field Hakel Damah or the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his house become deserted and let no one live in it. That comes from Psalm 69, 25. But it's plural to Israel's enemies, but Peter makes it singular here. And then he quotes Psalm 109.8, let another take his position of responsibility. Man, these guys had to have a bearing. If you're going to quote Psalm 69.25 and then Psalm 109.8, you've been in the Word. <laughs> like on cue, like, it's pretty amazing. Verse 21, thus one of the men who accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus associated with us, beginning from the baptism by John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness of the resurrection together with us. So they're setting up. How are they going to pick who needs to be the next one? Well, they've had to have walked with Jesus, been associated, the going in and going out kind of Greek idiom there, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up. So, so look, look how long he, they have to be there. Beginning from his baptism by John until the day he was taken up. So they had to be there the whole time, but yet not be seen. Come on, I'm about to help somebody in here that's wondering about your ministry or how to do this thing. I'm going to help you. They had to be so content with Jesus that they weren't even in the story until he's taken up. That they're there when John the Baptist baptizes them and declares who he is. They hear the voice of God. They're tagging along with Jesus all the way until the ascension and he's taken up. That's the ones that are candidates to be picked. And how many candidates do you think they had? At least two, right? So the question is, what if Matthias or Joseph said, you know what? He's already picked the other 12. He's obviously got his team. Eh, you know, uh, you know there's a lot of journey in here going around with Jesus. And, you know, I just, I just don't feel noticed. So, you know what? I, you know, I'm out. You know, I did that thing that time and Jesus didn't even look my way. <clears throat> And y'all know that was a good deed I did right there. 
And come on. You know, there was that time Judas was holding the collection box and I kicked in over there. And I didn't get sent my giving report. <laughs> Trying to get a break from King Herod on, my, on these taxes. Um, something about an affirmation of being seen. But to be faithful when you're hidden from all eyes. (laughs) To be faithful and not even care. And just be with Jesus. And when it comes time for them to pick, here's two men that were faithful. Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to assume the task of this service and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them. (laughs) Gets even weirder. And one was chosen, Matthias. So he was counted with the 11 apostles. Now that's a wild way to fill in a 12th spot for an apostle. (laughs) I mean... That's not how I would pick someone. (laughs) I mean, it starts out good, right? Lord, you know the hearts of all. We're going to shoot craps. (laughs) Seven come 11. Come on, Matthias. Snake eyes. Oh, Joseph. I mean, it's crazy. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, I guess. I don't really know. Is this the shortest straw thing? Did they have spaghetti noodles and each one read a different length? And it was like, all right, how long? It's like, what was going on? So Matthias gets picked. And here's what I found is that the world is filled with everyday, ordinary heroes. And most of the people that had the most profound impact on my life, you'll never know about. And if I said their name, there would be zero emotion stirred in you, and you would be left wondering, who is that? But it's this nameless entity that is in love with Jesus, (laughs) that doesn't even get picked sometimes, that sometimes just gets lucky. (laughs) That it's those that sometimes make the biggest impact. 
Now, don't you dare go to Oakland and say, I told you to go shoot craps. Because <laughs> I'll lie on you. Some of y'all need to stay out of there. Golly. Now check this out. I'm going to say some names. Ron Dry. Pastor in a little town, pastor a little church. God put it on his heart that he should go back to school and get his nurse's license so that he could do medical missions in the Congo and in places that were plagued with war. And he would come by our church maybe once a year, once every three years, and just share what he was up to, raising support. And Ron Dry would share these stories of going to these places. In one place that he went to, um, it was a Muslim country, and he went in to add medical support to a war that was going on. So he, they actually to let him in the country, assigned someone to watch him to make sure he would tell nobody about Jesus. And so he bandaged up people and under his breath prayed for them to know the king. And the guy that was assigned to him, he had no way to witness, but the Lord was dealing with him and he said, oh God, give me a way I can witness to this man. So the Lord gave him a witty way. When his daughter would call him, he would tell his daughter, let me pray before we get off the phone. And the guy would sit in while he would pray and he would preach the gospel to his daughter on the phone <laughs> so that the bodyguard could hear about it. And uh, finally the man was so impressed that he said, I've got to know this Jesus that you're talking about. And he accepted the Lord and had to get out of there because they were, his family was going to kill him. That's Ron Dry. As a young man, I still remember those stories. I'll tell you about a man named Haskell Grant. And he'd read the Bible through seven times every year. To read it through four times a year, you have to read 15 chapters a day. So that gives you some context if you're going to read it through seven times a year. Every seventh time through, he would read it on his knees. <laughs> and he just sat in the pew. <sighs> Tell you about a man that I had as a pastor. His name's Tony Burrow. He was a man that relapsed into drugs and he spent the night on this man's porch so that he wouldn't leave his house and leave his family. Tell you about an old man and an old woman, Ray and Laverne Jenkins, cleaned the church. They were so full of grace. He could barely walk, and they were still rolling up carpets and locking the doors. He could barely do it. I'll tell you about a lady by the name of Jean Fields. 
If you can have a spiritual grandma, that was mine, I guess. And I would go, and she had this old weenie dog named Dixie. It was one of them black and tan, really slick and shiny ones. It was fun to pet that dog. It was so slick. It was just like, and that dog would jump up on my lap, and I would sit in her husband's easy chair, and she would tell me stories of the revivals that they preached and what God had did. Tell me about the offerings they took up that were a whopping $3 to preach the gospel. Yeah. There's a lot of Matthiases in my life that just knew how to stick around and be faithful. And I want to tell you something. If you really want to make a big impact... Just stick around and be faithful. And eventually, in the big Yahtzee game in the sky, (laughs) God's going to roll your dice and It'll be your time. But don't miss these moments of faithfulness and being unseen and unheard. Because everything I am is a part of these unnamed people that you'll never meet and that you'll never know. Ordinary Faithful people. Those that linger and do what they can with what they have and are not looking for a title. And that's why they get chosen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. God, that we would be inspired to be faithful. That every one of these people, even Matthias, had a reason to quit or turn back. But they were so in love with you that it just wasn't an option. So, Lord, anybody thinking of turning back, It's not an option. Not an option. It's not too late. God's not done with you. You hadn't messed up so much. He can't use you or redeem you. God's just getting started. He's just getting started. You don't know how many future preachers and missionaries 
and influencers are watching your life right now. that you could be making a bigger impact than you even know. So Lord, we are content with being hidden, but we're gonna follow you from your baptism to your ascension. (laughs) Might never be mentioned in a gospel there (laughs) might never be mentioned in the miraculous story of what happened but it might have been our prayer that made it happen and nobody will ever know but God you know (laughs) and that's okay it's okay it's okay if just you see no one else we're content and being hidden until you deem the right time for it to bring us out. So Lord, create in us a clean heart (laughs) and renew in us a steadfast spirit. God, let us have the heart of the Apostle John that refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved so that he could disappear so that you would be made all the more plain so that you could be the focal point not the one laying on his chest but the one in whom is the chest that he's laying Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.